Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January 17th, 2021. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome to Shiflet. Good evening, sir. Yes, uh, tonight, big show. We've got a lot to talk about. Our last show... Um, while our topic du jour for the past roughly five years uh, is in the Oval Office, and we're on the eve of the inauguration, um, and so we've got a lot to talk about surrounding that. Uh, but then in about 20 minutes, we're so excited to have our guest on from Southern California, Steve uh, Singizer. Steve is a um, contributor to the Daily Coast. He's an educator in the um, Southern California area. And so we'll be having Steve on and talk to him about not only California politics, he wants to talk some Georgia politics since we were the, the center of the political universe for about two months there. Um, and then we'll talk about some national issues as well. But in the meantime, um, you know, we covered last week what the tragic events of January 6th, you know, just a real harm to our democracy. And we knew about all of these people that were outside the Capitol pushing to get in and we've seen you know footage of them we've seen them talk we've seen kind of their their um thought probably is really uh misusing the word thought but their um brain patterns we'll say um is, is what they were you know their motivations were but we've come to learn that they may have gotten more support maybe even sometimes unwittingly but in some way, maybe not unwittingly, uh, that's still to be investigated by members of Congress. Um, there may have been tours that were conducted uh, by Lauren Boebert. Um, you know, there were people that really understood how the Capitol was laid out, and they shared information over some walkie-talkie app um, that's gotten popular with the right wing. I don't know why walkie-talkies have a political persuasion, but um, apparently this app, uh, they say, is more right wing. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, but there was just so much information, and there's a lot of investigation to do. And we know also that some of the people, that, you know, quite frankly, Josh Hawley and uh, Ted Cruz kind of whipped these folks up, much like Donald Trump did outside of the Capitol. Um Catherine, what do you know about all this, and kind of what's your thoughts on what could be next if we learn the worst? They need to be removed from Congress, and they need to be prosecuted. I mean, as as we learn, as they investigate it, um, we need to um, prosecute for criminal activity. I mean, if we don't, then we have we run a further risk of it happening again. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen again, even if we do prosecute. But I think 
Um, if we don't prosecute, then I, I feel like it leaves the door open for anyone to feel like they can get away with these, this kind of behavior and these activities. I was pleased to hear that General Honore is uh, going to be working on the investigation. I think he's a perfect pick for that. So we need to, yep. th- these investigations need to be uh, further and much more in-depth. Okay, Catherine, I'm going to lay out two situations for you. Um, Lauren Bobert, we know that she did tours. Situation one, you know, the people came to her and said, hey, take us on a tour. You know, if we could break down the doors and get through it, we want to find out where we can, you know, get a hold of members of Congress. You're 100% right. She would need to be removed and, you know, criminal action taken. Scenario two. They say, oh, Lauren, we think you're the best, Representative Boebert. We just want to tour the Capitol. And they don't say any motivation for wanting a tour of the Capitol. She just takes them around. You know, this is Statuary Hall. This is where the offices are. This is the Senate chamber, the House chamber. Just gives a general tour. If that's the case and nothing was ever said or nothing was ever implied, what do you do with that? Well, the Capitol was closed for tours. Okay. So she would have so given the a Capitol was closed for tour. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Why? Well, and I knew that I mean, it was closed for the most part. It's a different yeah. level of, um, of uh, you know, um, error, but it still was closed for tour, so she shouldn't have – she shouldn't do it. And I think it's uh, kind of magical thinking to not think – to not – hear from these people and think that there was some ulterior motive. Yeah. Well, I mean, she probably, this is her base. I mean, she probably thinks these are just regular old good people. You know, I I mean, um, now, Tim, if the Capitol was closed, how did she get these people in here? I mean, wouldn't they have had to go through the regular channels, or did she, you know, cut off the alarm to the, the fire exit and sneak them in? Well, it, it, it's my understanding that the run-of-the-mill tours had been stopped, but but some tours were still conducted oh, okay. under special yeah. circumstances. Now, I don't know, you know, if, if that applies here or not. With, with Bobert, though, I was more concerned with the fact that she was apparently tweeting out the speaker's movements in real time as this was unfolding, that she was, oh, they've removed the speaker from the chamber. Well, I'm sure all of the people breaking in who were, you know, paying attention said thank you for that, you know. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know why she would have done that. Um, they need to have strong evidence, of course, that some House members were up to something, um, not, not rumors. Um, and I'm glad that the um, Justice Department and the FBI are going to be investigating all aspects of this and what happened. Um, Representative, what is her name? Oh, Mikey Sherrill from New Jersey sent a letter to the Capitol Police formally requesting that they investigate it as well. So I, I think if any house member uh 
interacted at all with any of that bunch, it's possible they could face charges. You know, they don't have the protections uh, from the Justice Department and others that, uh, say, the president does. Um, So uh, I, I, I just hope none of them were involved in this. But you think about her and Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis Gohmert, and, and Mo Brooks up there at that very rally just making an inflammatory speech, uh, riling those people up. He, he's just as guilty as Trump of, of, of getting those people inside it, it and, and Giuliani and all that bunch. My goodness. Um, I I just hope no members of Congress were involved in 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 what happened at the Capitol. I, I just hope they weren't. Yes. Uh, oh, and by the way, before we get into the next part of this, I just want to tell you that on Political Wire in the last few minutes, it was just reported by Tegan Goddard that um, Marjorie Green uh, had her Twitter account. Uh, suspended for at least part of the day for violating the rules. Gee, so. what a shot. <laughs> yeah, that was shot. earlier. Uh, yeah. She's had it suspended. Um, and, and so even though she had the censored mask on. Now, let's talk about the reaction to this as far as the Capitol Police, obviously. I mean, there were times where you'd have 50 of these people wanting to come through and one officer standing there and, and, and them holding them back was unrealistic. And no telling what they could have brought in because there were people showing videos that they had guns at least outside the Capitol, um, you know, in their waistbands and whatnot because they showed it to one member of the media almost as a threat. Um, So they've actually increased to where everyone has to go through the metal detectors, have things checked to make sure no weapons are being brought in, even the members of Congress. Well, you've had, I think, wasn't it 11 members the first day they did this? Um, just walked past the um, metal detectors, and I just have to wonder why was no action taken. Um, Tim, I think you were talking about this early in the week. What? Tell us more details about it. Well, well I mean, we saw um, Representative uh, Bobert. There's her name again. Uh, she would not let them search her bag. Well, you couple this with the fact that she had been bragging that she was going to be packing any time she was in the Capitol complex, which you're not supposed to do, and you got to wonder about that. And they just had a standoff right there at the door. You had others that just walked around uh, the metal detectors uh, like Gomer. There he is. It's the same bunch. Every time, isn't it? Just showing themselves. Uh, and so, how do you crack down on these people? How, how, well, you do what Nancy Pelosi did. To them? Yeah. You find them, and you, and you do it as payroll deduction. I love that. Yeah. I, that was like the fiercest thing. That and mask wearing. If you don't wear your masks, you get a fine... Um, and if you don't go through the metal detector, you get a fine, and it comes right out of your check. Brilliant. 
Yeah. She's, she's channeling a sports league. That sounds like what a sports league commissioner would do. <laughs> they sign their paychecks. Um, and you're right. It was a clever way to get it done. Well, Catherine, let me ask you this. Okay, if you're somebody that believes you should be able to take a gun, you know, theoretically just anywhere in American society, then why do you have a problem with a metal detector? Because wasn't the fact that if you could check the guns and let the guns for the people that should have the guns have the guns or the ones that shouldn't have it not have it, it will allow you to have more gun access theoretically if you do the proper metal detector checks, correct? Well, but the point of the metal detector is to show that you have a gun and then you can't take it in. But if she's got some kind of you know, prior approval, which I think that's still kind of in a in limbo, is if the lawmakers can carry guns or not. Which, given how heightened things are, I mean, we're we, we, we've all heard the story of Pre, uh, Preston Brooks and uh, Charles Sumner. I mean, it, it just feels like we're close to another incident, except it won't be with a cane. It'll be with a much more lethal weapon. Um, the way we're going, so. Um, but I mean, theoretically, it seems like she would be not be so flippantly anti-metal detector because her enemy is not the metal detector; it's the not allowing someone to have guns. You're not supposed to have guns anywhere in the District of Columbia. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, uh, now, is that only for the average citizen? Uh, are congressmen not supposed to obey the same laws as the rest of us? Yeah. I don't understand your question, David. Yeah, and and basically if the law is you're not allowed to have a gun in D.C. unless you're a law enforcement officer, a military official, the Secret Service, then she's going to have to obey the law. Did she get special permission? I know she was going to ask for, or not special permission, but are they going to grant lawmakers the right to carry weapons? If they hadn't done it, she's going to have to live with the law until she can change it. And since she ain't the majority of nothing, she ain't going to change it. So she needs to live with it. Right. But uh, are they so going to make her in some way? Are they going to force her? So that's what, But that's why she doesn't want to go through the metal detector because she wants to carry a gun. Well, they shouldn't let her go through the building. I mean, you go into a courthouse anywhere in America, even red states that you know allow a lot of uh, gun access, you are not going to take a gun in there. They don't stick a newspaper in most courthouses anymore, much less a gun. What? They got the rules. I, I they, they make I, all I, the rules. <laughs> Why does a congressman want to take a gun onto the floor of the U.S. House? Because she just wants to make well, a point. Well, 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 what are know. they going to do with it there? Yeah. Uh, cause Man, I wouldn't want to be in there with that fool doing that. Yeah. But, but then, therefore, I mean, and I've heard that this woman's been arrested how many times recently? Like four times? I mean, the more you learn about her, it's like, who was running against her? She apparently just earned her GED in the f- few months before she... um you know, ran for Congress. It was almost like she didn't have a high school education, and she wanted to cover for that by getting a GED right before, you know, she's had these arrests, and I'm not sure what all of them are about. Um, and, and then she just keeps on with, you know, opening up a restaurant, the guns, and everything else. Um, 
I just wonder, you know, we live in a district that has the other one that makes all the, the attention, Tim. Are the people yes, of we do. District I, Colorado I damn uh, regretting her? Damn view of people. I have a damn view of people that vote for people like that. Now, they, they ought to know better than to vote for, for just some, some nut that believes all that QAnon nonsense. And it's total, utter nonsense. I mean, it's just craziness. And people think it's okay to vote for somebody like that? I, yeah, see, I think that's more of a concern to me rather than whether she just got her GED. There's no requirement that you um, are a high school graduate to run for Congress. And, um, I, I mean, I, don't, I, I have much more tr- trouble with her QAnon and this gun-toting mentality and all that than whatever her educational or business background is. But That's there could not, be a correlation. Yeah. There, there could be a correlation that these conspiracy um, theories prey on the the less educated. I mean, you know, one could lead to the other, and I think we're seeing that now. Let's talk well, about I don't, these I don't think minutes. you can. I I don't think it's fair to jump to the conclusion that because someone doesn't have a high school diploma means that they're not educated. Well, you're you not can become educated. educated. Hey, Here's the thing: you can if someone takes the time to, going to earn degrees and puts in the work, we should reward people that put in the work and go earn the knowledge. And we should not back down. I'm not, I'm not, and, that's not what I said, and, David. That's well, not what I, I said. Well, that's not well, what I said. Well, well, you well, <laughs> okay, but I'm trying to get another. Okay, go ahead. Just because someone has not gone through formal education does not mean they're stupid and does not mean it's they're so uneducated. Uh, will you please let me finish? I, I, I agree didn't say stupid that we should reward. Okay, you know what? I'm, uh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm just but, – but I didn't say stupid. Um, let's talk about what Marjorie Greene uh, has said she's going to do on day two, first full day in office of, of Joe Biden's administration. She is going to – Fill out papers uh, to impeach him based on what I have no clue because, from my understanding, you have to be impeached based on something you do as president. We don't even know what he's going to do as president. He isn't in president. wrong. (laughs) Catherine, I'll get to tell us rude. I'll give you the first thing on this. What in the world is she going to impeach him over? Abuse of power is what she said. I don't know if she's going to abuse it. Is she a fortune teller? She got a crystal ball. I don't know. That's what I said. He hasn't even ha- doesn't even have any power. How can he abuse it? Oh, but she has a a comebacker for that. Marjorie does. She gave an um, interview to Newsmax. Oh, good. And she said that she was tired of Republicans who lay down and allowed this country to be ravaged. And she said that Joe Biden is is well known that he's bought off by Chinese and Ukrainian energy companies, and there's his abuse of power. Okay, we're probably not any better off even knowing that information, are we? But that's what she said. Did you see the hashtags on her Twitter? Impeach Biden, quid pro Joe and Biden crime family. So that's her angle. 
He's abused his power, guys, before he ever became president. How about that? Well, and here's the thing. You could believe anything you want to about candidate Biden, private citizen Biden, vice president Biden, I guess, or Senator Biden at that point. But if he in the first, say, 24 hours of his presidency does nothing with China, nothing with the Ukraine or whatever nation she mentions, there's no executive orders, there's no bills put forth, there's no nothing to do with those countries, then as much hokum as it is, take action on it because he wouldn't have done anything with it. Um, oh, you know, you, you make yourself look silly. Um, you could be laying in wait and planning to, fi- you know, file your impeachment article. But, at least wait but, a day until you. But, <laughs> but you know what, guys? You're a freshman congressman, and everybody knows your name, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, and I believe that's what a lot of this nonsense with her is about. Don't get me wrong. I think I think she's uh, you know needs a French fry to complete that happy meal, but uh, I, I I I do believe she's really really enjoying the notoriety. Mm. I definitely she's an attention seeker. Um, well, let's welcome in. I don't our, think our the guest. Republican. I don't think the Republican Party is enjoying her uh, <laughs> attention. No, not not the leadership. That, that's for sure. Um, I want to welcome in our, our, our guest for the first time on the Kudzu Vine versus Mr. Uh, Steve Singizer. Steve, how you doing? Doing real well. How you guys doing today? Oh, doing good. All right. Well, Steve, I talked about early in the show, uh, you're an educator out in Southern California. We're going to ask some questions about national stuff, California stuff, all kinds of stuff. But I just kind of told a little bit. Give us a little more about your uh, political and life bio. Okay, sure. Uh, I'm a high school teacher out here in the suburbs of Los Angeles, and Around the mid-2000s, the mid-aughts, I started uh, reading and uh, commenting on uh, the Daily Co's website. And then in 2009, uh, I got contacted by them. They wanted me to come in and work on their election side of thing, which became Daily Co's Elections, its own separate deal in 2010. And I've been there ever since. Uh, I, because I am full-time in another job, I'm not day-in, day-out with them, but I work like election nights. I man the live blog there, and I do some other stuff dealing with polling. And uh, it's it's a second job, but it's a labor of love because that that's my background. I, I teach history and I teach government. Uh, and may you live in interesting times teaching those subjects right now, for God's sake. But <laughs> no kidding. Um, oh, and it is hard. I, that is anybody who's a teacher already knows this. It's a challenge. Uh, you don't want to editorialize because if any MAGA teacher editorialized to my daughters, I'd go ballistic. But by the same token. <laughs> There's certain things that kind of have to be said that, yeah, this isn't exactly how this normally works, guys, because they, of course, being 15, 16 years old, they don't know any better. But So anyhow, uh, the Daily Coast side of things, I, I work their election nights, and I have now for a dozen years and love it, live for it. Yes, well, I'll tell you how long we go back. Um, we actually go back to when uh, David Neer worked on Swing State Project before he – um, kind of moved over to you know, that became Daily Co's elections. Now, were you with Swing State Project, or did you kind of join up when uh, after Swing State Project merged in with Daily Co's elections? 
Actually, kind of neither. <laughs> I, uh, I began with Daily Kos uh, before uh, Dave, but David was also writing for them at the same time. And then when they just online the entire Swing State blog over to Daily Kos Elections, I joined up on their side. But I was writing for Daily Kos as a contributing editor for about a year before that, uh, that marriage took place. Yeah, well, good deal. Because I mean, we, we've been having you know David, I believe a, a Jeff on as well since when they were on um, Swing State Project before they came over, which you know put, putting it together just made a ton of sense. Well, Steve, you mentioned being an educator. I'm an educator as well. Um, I'm more in a rural or exurban area of Georgia. And so we're more in person. We have in my particular county have done more hybrid where I live. Uh, they really hadn't done much hybrid at all. Um, but you're in an area where they've done more remote learning. Um, kind of what's that been like and um, where does it look like that may go as we try to eventually get back to schooling? Well, you know, we are in remote and we have been since um, March uh, 16th of last year. Uh, it's, it's a couple different factors. One, L.A. County being so populated and so densely populated, we've just never had that break where moving back to onboarding either hybrid or full-time has ever made sense. But And it's tough. Uh, any teacher will tell you it's not as much fun. I, I enjoy being in the classroom. I enjoy the interaction, which is a lot harder to do on Zoom. But I also know that the number of cases in the town where I teach have doubled in the last seven weeks. So, you know, I did get a little chance to be in the classroom, or at least in, in the school, because I'm also a coach. Uh, I'm the head coach of our school's track and field team. So we started back with practices in November. And so I got to run a couple months of practices. We're on hiatus right now because it's gotten real bad here for those who haven't followed California's COVID situation. L.A. County in particular has, has really had a bad go of it since the holidays. And so we're, we're not even practicing right now. We start back in a week or so. But, uh, you know, it's tough. It, 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 and I think the public conversation on it has also been tough because it's a tough needle to thread. I get really viscerally angry when I hear people blame teachers for this. We didn't create this. And it's not right to endanger staff, and we've seen cases of that all over the country, uh, just because I understand how hard it is to be a parent of a student and also be working full-time. I've been doing it since March. I have a, my daughter goes to the high school where I teach, so I, I understand it. But, man, uh, it needs to get a lot better than it is now before we can feel real comfortable with it. Yes. Well, I have another question, but I don't want to steal any of what Tim got based on California. So I'm going to reserve the right to come back after Tim and Catherine ask their questions. So I'm going to pass it along to Tim. Good evening, Steve. And uh, coming from a fellow sports junkie, let's get the important stuff out of the way first. Yes, sir. The Bruins are <laughs> the Bruins are seven and zero in, in conference. Is that team for real this year or what? <laughs> uh, Tim, you know what? It's hard to know because the conference is hard to know. Yeah, you could be yeah. you know, you could be you could be the the tallest kid in kindergarten. It doesn't make you tall. Uh, <laughs> they, I mean, they look a lot better than they did at the beginning of the season. I'll say that they look a lot better than they did when they lost to Ohio State, and they looked a, a miles better yeah. than they did. First game of the season, they coughed it up to San Diego State and just looked horrible doing it. But they've got talent, yep. and I really do like Mick Cronin as a coach. Uh, I like he's he's a he's a team guy, he's a disciplined guy, and they needed that. 
So I'm hopeful. All I'm right. Gonna, I'll go with I'll, I'll go with all the right, ultimate that, coach that, speaker. Cautiously uh, optimistic. Right. That's what I'll go with. <laughs> I'm I'm going to put them down as contending with Oregon and USC for the for the conference championship. We'll leave it right there. <laughs> okay. So okay. Um, Democrats lost four swing U.S. House districts in November in California. What happened? I think a few different things happened. Uh, first of all, let's start with uh, the, the Central Valley race, the T.J. Cox race. One, it was incredibly close. He's running against a liked former incumbent. Uh, David Valadeo had never been in trouble until 2018. Yeah. So I don't think, it, mm-hmm. in my mind in that race, it wasn't so much what went wrong in 2020. It's what went right in 2018. Uh, the Republicans had nothing at the top of the ticket. Their, their gubernatorial candidate was, was a non-factor. And so it was enough to get T.J. Cox over the line, whereas with the accelerated turnout, both Democrat and Republican in that district, it was enough that there are a lot of Democrats in the Central Valley that are okay with Valadeo. He's pretty shrewd, as he proved by voting to impeach on uh, earlier this week. He's pretty shrewd. Now, as for the others, I have a theory on those races because all other three races – had a connection to a part of the greater LA area that is traditionally conservative with the Garcia seat. You have the Simi Valley part of Ventura County. And then with the other two seats, the 48th and the 39th, you have orange County. Mm-hmm. Orange County looked at orange County, even though it didn't reflect itself presidentially, orange County looked and felt a little bit more like the old orange County. And I, and I actually try, I actually will owe that to COVID. Uh, almost every mm-hmm. big anti-governor COVID rally was in Huntington Beach, it felt like, or elsewhere in Orange County. Uh, and I think the same thing was true in Simi Valley. Um, I think Mark Garcia may have made himself a one-termer because, boy, he has acted like a loyal MAGA supporter, and that's not going to play in most of that district. It might play in Simi Valley, but it's not going to play in Palmdale, Lancaster, and Santa Clarita and places like that. So I, he may have already doomed himself to one-term status, but – I think the Orange County seats were tough holds to begin with. They weren't won by a lot the first time. Um, I think Carly Ruda's win in 2018 was largely on the fact that people had just gotten tired of Dana Rohrabacher's routine. And he was mm-hmm. replaced with a female candidate who was a much more generic Republican. She'd been chair of the California Republican Party. And, and I think that was more of a generic R feel to it. So the, each one kind of had its own explanation. I don't think California necessarily went bad. I just think each one had its own uh, kind of – dynamic to it that was different from 2018 okay so you so you mentioned valadeo's uh vote to impeach now he was the only california republican to vote for impeachment Mm -hmm. will it cost him his seat i'm gonna say two things one it's hard to know because we don't know what the districts are going to look like yet we do have a commission out here so it's not Uh like Republicans in the legislature will protect him or Democrats in the legislature will gun for him because that's not a factor. Assuming he gets a district similar to the one he has now, the one thing that may save his butt, I think there's no accident that three of the Republicans that voted to convict out of the entire country came out of California and Washington because we Uh both states have something in common actually with Louisiana, which is we have the open primary. So the question becomes, if he was just in a closed Republican primary, I'd say he just signed his warrant because there are enough MAGA friendly white farmers in the Central Valley to steal his fate. But because it's an open primary, 
and Democrats and independents can vote in it too, I think he won't be as bad off as he could have been. And I think he did himself a favor for the general because his brand is kind of, I do what's right for my, you know, for the people of the Central Valley and not necessarily, I'm not a strict party adherent. And what better way to prove that than to impeach a president in your own party? Yeah. Now, now you had you had talked to David earlier about about things going on with the pandemic, and and I wanted to ask you one question uh, at the state level, and then I'm going to send it over to Catherine, who's going to talk to you about another state that we all know and love. But it's about Governor Newsom. He's really been getting pummeled in the press by opponents, and. You know, I saw what happened to Gray Davis. Uh, That's how Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor. So is Gavin Newsom in any danger of having something like a recall? Um, Well, there is. Be successful. Yeah. You know, Tim, there is a recall uh, being petitioned right now. Yeah. The first challenge they have to get is they have to get enough signatures. Now, what's hurting that cause potentially is it's always based off previous election turnout. In the last two election cycles, we've had monster turnout here, way above the norm. Uh-huh. So that's going to raise the threshold of how many signatures they have to get to well over a million. So that's mm-hmm. going to be tough. But if they get there, it's a tough call. There's two dynamics here. One, can first of all, in California, the recall is a straight up or down, yes or no, and then there is a pool of candidates that can run. And so it's two questions. One, do you want to recall them? Two, if the recall successful, who do you want to replace them with? That second mm-hmm. question gets interesting because what Democrat is going to be willing to run in that situation? Right. And that's where things get real interesting. Um, I imagine there will be someone who will because as an insurance policy, you need that. Uh, that's what happened mm-hmm. in, in, tw- in 2003 is uh, the lieutenant governor got in, Cruz Bustamante, but so did enough kind of minor Democrats and the best-known name in the Green Party and everything else. And that let Schwarzenegger come across the line with just 48 uh, percent. Mm-hmm. So that's a danger. Now, the one mm-hmm. thing that's different is I can't think of a Republican who can get that kind of – who can get what Schwarzenegger got him, 48 uh, percent. I do mm-hmm. know that smelling a little bit of blood, the former mayor of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner, uh, got in. I, I don't know if he has a big enough statewide profile. It's it's an interesting time because there is anger towards Newsom. He he's made some obviously some optics mistakes if nothing else. And uh-huh. people are just frustrated. We've been dealing with this now. We're ten months in. Uh, my you know I like I said I have two teenage daughters and you know they're frustrated. They want to go to their friends' houses. They want to go to the mall and none of those things are really possible right now. And it's not surprising that that kind of lays at the, the feet of the guy who's in charge, especially when the biggest thing anybody knows about him in COVID in the last four months is that he had a fancy dinner while everybody else was getting takeout. I mean, optics of that was horrible. <laughs> so I'm cautiously All optimistic right. he could beat it back as a Democrat, yeah. but, but the positioning is not the best. All right. And with that, I'm going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine? Hey, thanks, uh, Tim. Thanks for being on with us tonight, Steve. It's nice to have a new voice on the show. We always appreciate that. And, of course, we Uh, all follow Daily Co's elections and have other friends there, and so we're glad to have you. Um, I want to talk about what everybody loves to talk about these days, which is Georgia. (laughs) 
and our recent yes. uh, surprising win um, wins, I should say. Um, there's, you know, already a lot of analysis coming out about the election and the votes and the undervotes and the overvotes and the, you know, percentages of, you know, this many new voters and all that. And in fact, a friend of mine posted something recently on uh, Daily Co's elections. I think it was yesterday. And uh, he did a big analysis. I just wondered if you've had a chance to look at any of those numbers and what your thoughts are and how we can um, use those numbers to uh, carry this forward and, um, you know, what that analysis means for our upcoming gubernatorial elections, the midterms, as well as the 2024 general um, when we elect, either reelect Joe Biden or whatever. So have you had a chance to look at them? I, I've done some number crunching on my own, and I've looked at a few others, and I did see the New York Times piece earlier this week, and, and I talked to some folks online about it, and it seems to me, and I'm not upset about this at all, that Republicans might be learning the wrong lesson here, which is they've just all laid it at the feet of Trump. Trump was complaining about the legitimacy of elections, so look at all the Republicans that stayed home. If they had voted, we would have won, and I think that misses a key point of the analysis, which is party's turnout for a runoff election was really, really good. I mean, if you look at previous runoffs, they were at 57% of the November turnout or 63%, and this was up in the high 80s, low 90s, depending on the county. And so I think the thing that they're deluding themselves a little bit into thinking is that all it's going to take is two years of distance from Donald Trump, and, and their base will just come right back out and flood the polls, and they did flood the polls. They just didn't flood the polls as impressively as the Democrats did. I mean, my gosh, DeKalb County had 94% of its November turnout. 94% yeah. insane. Mm. And they were one of the highest. And Fulton was right behind, I think, at 93 and change. So well ahead of the state average. And that just doesn't usually happen. But the thing I think they're whistling past the graveyard on is how many of these counties are still changing. Now, I did notice looking at it that percentage-wise, because what I had done, the beauty of only having one state to worry about is you can do a really good job of prepping for an election. So I had a county by <laughs> county ready to go on election night. Because uh, Now, granted, it would be a lot easier if you all didn't have 193,000 counties, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I managed to get all 100 and, I think 159, I believe it well, is. See, I got, Steve, I got let them me all laid inter- out. Interrupt, and let me – the way I think about that is that it's really 159 plantations. <laughs> well, that might be – that may, that may well be true, uh, <laughs> and that would also explain that explain why why the South is just a hotbed for having a ridiculously high number of counties. I always say if California can fit 40 million people in 58 counties, they all should be able to. But uh, anyway, yeah. one of the things I noticed that night is uh, the two Democrats weren't quite hitting the percentages that they necessarily needed everywhere. But what they were doing is in certain counties, the momentum that came from the general just kept going, like Douglas County, for example. I had it that, that I was more worried about John Ossoff than I was about Warnock. I felt a little better about Warnock. Most people did. I had him needing to win it by 25, and he wound up winning it by 28. So those things matter. So it's, you know, when people ask me, and I've been asked this, you know, was it, was it Democratic turnout or are we, sw- or are we persuading voters? My answer was both. 
You know? Yeah, I think it was. You have Gwinnett County, at, I think it was 60-40 for, for Ossoff. I think it was 60-40 or 59-41. That didn't happen, you know, four years ago. It didn't, and in some cases, it didn't even happen in November. So those are phenomenal numbers. So how are you going to get that back? Because the rural counties are pretty well cashed out. There are a lot of 89-10s and 90-9s. Uh, there's not much more you can go there. So they're going to have to, for the Republicans to, to come back in that state, which they certainly can, they're going to have to claw back some of what they've lost in the last four years in places like Cobb and, and, and place, even places like, like the cab where at least they used to get 20%, you know, in a heavily populated County going from 20% to 15 or in Fulton going from 31 to 27 is huge. That's tens of thousands of votes. Right. And then the other question is what happened with the PSC? Do you think that was, um, or did you even look at that? Some people aren't even paying attention to that. No, I, um, Go ahead. I did, and I think the only thing I can think of is I think there was some small, and obviously a small percentage of voters who normally are Republican but just were so sick of the Trump thing that it's like we got to give Democrats the keys to the Senate. I think control of the Senate being online was a huge motivator in both directions, obviously. But I think there was a small subset, and obviously significant enough to matter, that voted Republican from uh, Bubba McDonald on the grounds of, well, that's the name I know but wanted to give the Democrats control of the Senate and wanted to get kind of the taint of Trumpism out of Washington. That's just, I mean, it's a guess, but I think it's a, a, a fairly decent guess because if you look at the percentages, it wasn't like McDonald did dramatically better in one part of the state that the others didn't do well in it. It was pretty uniform difference of a couple percentage points. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it was like, well, we want, we, we want some, we want to punish the national de- Republicans but we like our local Republicans. Yeah, yeah. and I, I mean, my gosh, how long is uh, McDonald's, what, 82? I'm sure the guy's been running since shortly after the Earth's crust cooled, so <laughs> name recognition <laughs> matters. Name recognition does matter. And he's never um, – you know, a lot of people don't pay any attention to the Public Service Commission. He's never been in, in any scandals as far as I know. So it's one of those, oh, well, why not just keep him there? Well, great. That's great. Thank you so much for uh, for your input and comments. Very helpful. And I'm going to – I know David has some more questions, so I'm going to let him go. Thanks a lot. All right. Yes. And before I have my questions, um, Steve, I'm going to tell you all, uh, first, Bubba McDonald, if you've ever heard him sing the national anthem, he's the most efficient national anthem speaker you will ever hear i've heard him speak or sing it back when he was in a democrat at uh, democratic events and i think he sang at a falcons game because he actually was a falcon season ticket holder um and, and i mean no one gets it done faster than bubba singing the national anthem um second that alone, thing georgia I, I tell, I've, I've never – it's a work of art i mean he gets every word in tim Catherine, have you heard bubba sing the national anthem I have. No, yes, I've never had that Democratic event years ago. You, you have, Tim. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember it? Ab- absolutely. Nobody does it like yes. Bubba. You're right. <laughs> yes, and I might have noticed it myself, but I will give credit where credit is due. One of our former co-hosts, Scott Aikman, uh, he noticed it immediately. Um, how efficient Bubba was with the national anthem. Now, 159 counties. Uh, I, I may have shared this on the show before. The reason we have that 
is, and it's still not a good reason, um, we could save a lot of money if we got rid of them, is back when they did all the counties, I guess once they had all the land for Georgia and it was all settled, they didn't feel anybody should be longer than a day's horse ride and back to their home to the courthouse. And so they wanted somebody to be able to leave their house on horseback, get to the county courthouse, do their business, come back before supper time, before dark, whatever it is. And they had to cut it into that many counties um, to, to make that happen. And like some places like where Tim lives and where I live, if you didn't have like a mountain ridge, you probably could have combined into one county because the mountain ridge, um, it makes a little county that kind of sits up on another part of another county and there's probably things like that all across the state but that's the story and since you're a history teacher i thought you might find that remotely interesting um <laughs> and I but do. let me uh get, yeah i know I, I when i book steve i mean you, tim you ask him a basketball question I, steve and i get pro wrestling and stuff so i mean i, oh, I kind of okay. feel like steve i know it makes you tick um but but I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, my question would be back to COVID and California. Now we know that crazy states like uh, ours, with you know, we got Brian Kemp and down south of us, we got DeSantis, and you know, the Dakotas have Christy Nome, and I forgot the North Dakota governor. But then they're you know, they're just living, let live. Let's open everything up, and we've seen the disastrous results. California, they've had much tighter. Um, rules on closing things down, not opening things up, and yet COVID still seems to plague California. Is there any lesson, or do people in California just are like, okay, the government has more rules, but we're just not going to follow them? Uh, to, to be honest with you, I think it's mostly the latter. Uh, people are just – the way I described it to a friend of mine is people are just over it, right? So on New Year's Eve, they had made this very big deal about the holidays at the L.A. County Health Board on a daily basis. You know, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. December was a terrible year, a terrible month for us. Stay home. Stay home. It was beaten into our heads on a daily basis. I'm walking my dogs on New Year's Eve, and we did just that. We stayed, we stayed in our house. We celebrated sitting on our couch. I'm walking our dogs shortly after sunset. Five houses away, there's a party with 20 people. It's just <laughs> – they weren't going to give that up. They weren't going to deny themselves their enjoyment. And we have these you know, young kids who go to these travel ball tournaments in Arizona and Nevada and Utah and come back. Well, when you travel that much, you're putting yourself at a greater risk. It's just it's a given. That's why they're so wary of people traveling. It's just I think it's the length of it more than anything else. In the first couple months, there was a great deal more compliance. I remember I had to drive out to my parents' house, which is on the other end of the L.A. basin, uh, to visit my mom. This was probably two months into the COVID lockdowns and whatnot. And it was at rush hour, and it's 40 miles. And I know from during football season, because I used to work on my brother's football staff, it'd take me two hours to go those 40 miles because it's, it's L.A. It took me 37 minutes to get out there. People were taking it seriously. Doing it now, normal traffic. Everyone's just kind of gone back to their routines. So it's definitely the latter of the two. We still have the rules in place. I don't know how, you know, there's not a lot of enforcement of it. The one thing that really hurt is when they, when we went back on restrictions in the fall, right after November, the cases started to rise again. A lot of the sheriffs, and I found this deeply unhelpful, just came out and said, that's a great rule. We're not enforcing it. And so, and I and I kind of understand their perspective. 
it's one thing to have to deal with an entire county's law enforcement and then on top of that try to break up you know a house party of 10 people i get it but by the same token you're inviting people to flout the rules when you tell them there's going to be no punishment for it yes and just it's just an interesting um you know social thing to think about not even so much political now one final question and this is political um Diane Feinstein, she ran for re-election, I believe, in 2018. She won a second term, or second, another term, I should say, another six years. She'll turn 92 when her term ends. Um, and people are saying that you know she may not really need to make it that long. I, I mean, and I know some of it's like she's been a little more friendly to some Republicans that people like, and some people are like it's just you know the the, the like. You know, even if we are lucky enough to make it to 92, where we might be at that point. Um, do you think that there'll be a push to kind of get her to resign so um, somebody else can be appointed to that seat? Or does she make it to 92 and then decide she wants to run again? I mean, what's kind of the future for Diane Feinstein? Well, I think that she would run again if she got the chance and she felt up to it. I, I, there's been some really unfortunate stories in the very recent past about that she may not be in terms of her ability to execute the office where she was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Uh, And I think the one thing I hate to criticize her. She's had such a long career and much of it's been in my opinion, good, but the problem is that she represents a political era that in terms of just the comedy, not comedy, although that also sometimes happens, but the comedy of the two parties doesn't really exist anymore. So when she gives Lindsey Graham a hug at the end of the uh, Coney Barrett hearings and says he did such a fabulous job, an entire nation of Democrats practically choked themselves on their own tongues, swallowing their tongues like, are you, are you kidding me with this? But that's, that's, the, that's the tradition she comes from at a time when there was a lot more social bipartisan Ship, even if not necessarily political bipartisanship. And so she represents that era where, oh, at the State of the Union, we'll sit one Democrat, one Republican, and hold hands and whatnot. And that's just, it, it just feels very anachronistic these days, especially in the wake of what we saw, you know, earlier this month. And so I don't know that there will be a market for her in 20, 2024, even if she does run. People forget she did not win. Granted, it was a Democrat on Democrat race, but she did not win against De Leon in 2018 by that much. It was a single-digit race. So with an additional six years and having alienated a lot of Democrats with uh, the Coney Barrett hearings, I I don't know that – I think she'd rather go out on her own terms, and I think if she runs again, she may not necessarily have that luxury. Yes, and I would like to see her go out on her own terms too. I mean, I know that like when, and it was in the late seventies. I mean, I was a single digit, and I don't remember it. I just have seen the the movie when um, uh, George Moscone, the mayor of San Francisco, was assassinated. Harvey Milk was assassinated. I mean, she had to step in and become uh, the mayor, and then just built the career, uh, you know, on top of what she'd already done in San Francisco. So, so much respect for this decades-long legacy, and it would be, to me, uh, just a real shame to see her go out on a, you know, loss being put out of office instead of retiring on her own terms. Um, 
it, but I do find it very interesting because, you know, you have one new senator you're going to have. I mean, it, it seems kind of tenuous for a while with everything going on. When would Kamala Harris decide to resign? You know, and she's smart to wait, and, and now there's going to be a new senator, and then there could be a new one in California. Um, so y'all's politics has gone from pretty much, yeah, Democrats are going to control everything, to, yeah, Democrats may control everything, but at least there's races, and it's kind of interesting, and there's some intrigue. More intrigued than I'm comfortable with. Recalls are such a funny beast that that I, that scares me as a Democrat because in 2003, it wasn't like the state was a swing state by any stretch of the imagination. Gray Davis got reelected with like a 39% job approval rating. That's how blue the state was even then. And granted, it's grown only more blue since then, but still – a recall is such a wild card about how people behave and what will turnout look like that that I'd rather not see that happen, but I, we may not have a choice. <laughs> yes, uh, just a different system there, the recalls. Well, Steve, before you go, um, tell our listeners if they want to read you in the interim, and in case you come back on the, in the future, willing, um, we'd love to have you. But in the interim, where can they read you at? Well, you'll see me every now and again on Daily Co's elections, and it's uh, com slash elections, uh, especially on election nights. You know, so get me on uh, Twitter, uh, my handle. You know, as a teacher and as someone who writes for a liberal website in a, you know, it's not a conservative city, but it's certainly not, you know, I, I'm not a teacher in San Francisco Unified School District. You think I would have been smart enough to come up with a pseudonym, but no, I didn't. So my uh, Twitter handle is my first name and last name, Steve, S-T-E-V-E, Singizer, S-I-N-G-I-S-E-R. Yes. Well, Steve, we're so glad you could uh, come on in for us and talk about California, COVID, and even Georgia with us tonight. It was a pleasure. I'll come back anytime. It was really nice talking to you guys. Thanks, Steve. Thank sure you, thing. sir. Take All care. Right. Have a good All night. Right. You too. Well, we got just a few more minutes. We were talking about Marjorie Green. Um, Catherine, I know we were kind of, I think we were talking to you, and then Tim hadn't had a, a say on it. Um, Catherine, any more thoughts on Marjorie Green doing what she's planning? I think uh, while we may she may enjoy this attention, I don't think the Republican Party, this is where we were, the Republican Party isn't enjoying this attention, and I think it's going to be, um, she's going to quickly go from being a, um, little bit of an enter of, of entertainment to being a joke. Uh, I mean, I think in many ways she's already a joke. Uh, so I don't think this is going to help her if that's what she's looking for. And I think it just makes her look ridiculous. And anyone that goes along with her will also look ridiculous in any support of this, you know, impeachment for abuse of power. Yeah, well, that, that's my next question. Do you think then she'll um, get some co-sponsors like a Lauren Bobbert, because they seem to be going hand-in-hand hand these days? Well, I think that would be a mistake for anyone that co-signed. <laughs> but, well, know, Lauren Bobbert's into mistakes these days, so, you know. 
Yeah, she said the mistakes. <laughs> Tim, uh, you know, 14th Congressional District Chair that you are, um, what is your thoughts on um, what Marjorie Green Taylor's doing? Marjorie Taylor Green, I'm sorry. Well, I, 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 I think a lot of it now is, is that she does seek instant notoriety. Uh, what better way to grab it than you know, to do the sort of things that she's doing, and that's what she's trying to do to her credit. It did work because everybody in this country right now that follows politics at all, if you mention Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, they they know who she is. Uh, the one reason the Republican leadership may weary of this very quickly is that I don't think she'll have any qualms about attacking them as well. If it suits right. her purposes, Donald Trump didn't have any qualms about it, and she fashions herself uh, uh, or thinks of herself, I think, as a uh, down-the-line Trump disciple, and she seems to be beginning to act a lot like he would act if if, if he were in uh, Congress uh, up on Capitol Hill, I think. So that I. I I imagine that uh, a lot of people are going to get weary of her, but as long as she is in the news, as long as she gets to go on some of the networks and talk, and as long as she gets her press releases in her district, she's going to be very happy with what she's doing. So expect more of the same, guys. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, when you're talking about her uh, relationship to what, how Trump thinks, I thought of the bracelets, you know, what would Jesus do if uh, your political career is what will Trump do or what would Trump do? Um, that is a pretty scary thought. Um, but, but I think you're right. There is a little group, and she's one of the biggest names in that group that thinks that way. Um, and yeah. then today she got in a big fight with Gabe Sterling online. That's what led to the what. Um, Tegan got it reported. Um, you know, the, the report showed that the drop-off in the 14th congressional district among Republicans, not among Democrats, but good job, Tim, among Republicans was the most precipitous. And, you know, some people were saying, you know, blaming her. Um, and, of course, she didn't like that, and she wanted to throw it off on everybody else she could, um, that her area um, – her congressional district dropped off. Um, Catherine, will she get some blowback from this? Uh, uh, you mean from getting pushed off Twitter? Well, just attacking. Well, yeah, just oh, the whole okay. thing, you know, attacking Gabe Sterling, uh, other Republicans, and everything else. Um, she might get some pushback, but she doesn't care. So it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter. Mm -mm. You know, she might get pushback from Republicans and from people in Georgia, but it doesn't really matter to her because she's, you know, she's on a mission. Mm. Yeah. Tim, this is really kind of a longer discussion that we're not going to, you know, be able to flesh out tonight, but we can see the starting of it even before now. But you've got the Marjorie Taylor Greens, maybe Doug Collins coming in. Um, David Schaefer, possibly um, so these Republicans that are going to stick with what you know Donald Trump and you know Sidney Powell and 
Lynn Wood, and all these folks said, you know, stop the steal. And then you're going to have folks like Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp and um, uh, Jeff Duncan, lieutenant governor, that are, um, you know, standing up for more traditional, you know, government. Um, is there going to be a real you know, wedge driven through the Georgia Republican Party um, in the coming, you know, really two years because it'll flush itself out before the next cycle is going to happen. It, it, it does seem that way. You wonder if some of the current office holders, though, might not say, you know what, I don't need this. And I'm not saying the governor will do that. I don't think he will. But the lieutenant governor may decide he don't need it. Brad Raffensperger may decide for certain he don't need it. And they may just uh, vacate their offices and, and 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 just leave them wide open for for people like that to uh, get their party's nomination. I hope that's not what happens, but it could happen. Otherwise, you are going to have that wedge driven in there, and uh, I just wonder if they're going to be able to fix it, especially in the metro area where Catherine lives, where voters take a damn view of that sort of thing. So, Yeah, and speaking of Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, I really didn't put a lot of thought into him um, when he ran. I mean, he was on the ticket, and I didn't you know, put a tremendous amount of thought in it. Um, and then he served, and he... You know, he just didn't make a real impression on me. And this was a kind of a fight he didn't really have to get into. Brad Raffensperger had to get in this fight. Brian Kemp had to get in this fight uh, one way or the other. They could roll over or they could stand up for democracy. And to their credit, they, uh, in this case, because um, Brian Kemp's been kind of <laughs> sketchy in the past on, um, you know, who gets to vote. But uh, they stood up for it. But Jeff Duncan really didn't have to, and he kind of did. And I was, you know, kudos to him. I mean, I I, I think to be a fair-minded show, every once in a while we gotta got to point out when the other side does something right. Um, yeah. Catherine, any final thoughts on this possible division? Well, I just want to make one little correction here. They're all starting to go after absentee voting and uh, voter ID already in the legislature, mm-hmm. so let's not give them too much credit. Yeah. Well, this um, is, you know, in that, time, <laughs> and, you that know. one moment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that song that they played, that one moment in time, is that way in Houston? One moment in time, you know, we need to play it in the background as we leave. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I think that this could be a um, a difficult. It'll it will be difficult for the Republicans to like like Tim said because of the metro areas and the suburbs and exurbs where they're losing ground and um, and then how they hold on to their more conservative and the you know Marjorie Taylor Green types. It it it's got to be a um, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing for them to handle and they don't have, they don't seem to have a good, uh, like mediator or moderator here who can help them. You know, that they don't have a Stacey Abrams or, a you know, anybody who can sort of help guide them. It doesn't seem at least to me. So, Yes, um, the the leader of the party would be Brian Kemp, but then if the base 
doesn't follow him, then he's by definition, I guess, not the leader, which is a crazy state of affairs. Well, um, thanks again for to, uh, to Steve Seisinger uh, for coming on the show tonight. And next week we have a uh, data expert, political data expert, David Shore, will be our guest. And until then, been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, Good night guys. Right. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic experience.